0: I'm American as well, so I don't like when people try to say, you know, well, you know, are you Jamaican, are you American? No, I'm, I'm both, and I'm 100% Jamaican, and I'm 100% American. My name is Stephon K. James, and I'm a model minority.
1: Welcome to Model Minorities. This is a show about work and life, told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City.
2: And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee.
1: Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories,
2: perspectives, and
1: often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the
2: world. Basically what we're all thinking about, but probably not talking enough about.
1: Whether you're black, white, brown, yellow, gay, straight, boy, girl, or anything in between.
2: This is a show about all of you for all of us today we're talking to stefan k james stefan is a consumer insights professional in chicago which is a poor man's new york city um i think stefan knew know that uh but stefan has worked at Stanford. are we
1: allowed to say that hold on let me just stop you right there <laughs> yeah. you, can't call, you can't call chicago the poor man's new york city
2: is that mean to poor people? Because Chicago That's sucks so
1: Chicago- much? No, it's mean to Chicagoans.
2: Yeah. Is that bring what it they call Chi- themselves? Bring do it Chicagoans. Them
1: Chicagoans. Oh my goodness. Look,
2: Chicago, just because you don't leave <laughs> your garbage out on the street like we do in New York, <laughs> uh, and just because you choose to eat something that kind of looks like pizza but it's really like a lasagna casserole okay
1: let's let's go back to stefan so on today we're talking
2: to stefan k james a consumer (laughs) insights professional um from chicago Uh, but he's he's worked on some of the world's biggest brands and and now what's really interesting is he's applying his like mad skills to startups that are kind of at the intersection of sports and neuroscience so he's a hella nerd and he's awesome
1: He's awesome, and I really like talking to him. Selfishly, because he's sort of the same genetic makeup as my kids, same racial makeup. He's Blasian. He's Blasian. He's Blasian. He's a Blasian grown up, and you know, right now the two little Blasian boys in my life are my own. And uh, it it was kind of nice to talk to someone who's um, can relate to that. You know, has has found success, found his uh, his path, and. Um, gave me real hope. Gave me real hope for my, for you my were kind of Asian
2: momming on him. Yeah. I, I, a little I got bit. That him. <laughs> But no, you know, um, when I asked him like why business, you'll find out that he was in a boy band. I did not know that about him, but it was the hustle, the business side of it. Like the booking yeah. gigs, yeah. managing the, the group that kind of woke up I mean, something in him. He kind of, they they performed at like Disney world or something
1: or somewhere in Orlando. Right. So semi-famous. But definitely, like, definitely tour worthy. <laughs> tour worthy. Um, he's come a long way, though, and he has found a lot of success in the corporate world. And we talked to him a lot about that. Uh, he was very open with us about code switching. And one thing that he talked about, which I thought was very, very fascinating, was his experience with having to code switch being the most senior person on the team. And you don't hear that a lot because you, typically i just i mean i i just personally don't have conversations with folks that are in those roles but uh talking about how giving how when he gives feedback to people on his team so his subordinates he has to make that less threatening or more palatable
2: and that was interesting because it's like it's cuz he's a black man and right. he even though he doesn't want to have to change who he is he recognizes how He he brought up the idea of dead face. Like he has to even be careful. His face isn't too dead when he's trying not to convey emotion because that could be threatening. But if it's too dead, it could like be threatening. It's it's
1: Mm -hmm. really interesting. And uh, he also like in that same vein talked a lot about kind of managing everyone's emotions, you know, in order to keep them safe, to keep them feeling safe, to keep himself kind of out of um, any kind of point of conflict, and. Coming like me hearing that culturally from um, a perspective of someone who was raised, I mean, not directly by my parents, but culturally, you know, it's a very stereotypical Asian and Chinese thing to conform. Like you, you conform. Well, the idea of face,
2: right? The idea of face is you don't uh, want to, I learned this when I worked in Asia. It's like the easiest way to resolve a conflict is not to get emotional. Um, Yeah, because that shows that you're not in control. It was very Vulcan yeah. almost the idea of face. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so that definitely comes out in our conversation. Well, so the other and thing then, is,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah go yeah, ahead. He's
1: Jamaican. He's-, <laughs> he's Jamaican. Exactly. And we talked a lot about that. Like how Jamaican, like, like how Jamaican are you and how there's a whole test of, you know, where you live and, um, specifically what town you're from and, you know, even down to like just proving like that you're from Kingston or like a certain like, you know, region or um, uh, locality within, within Kingston. And that's kind of proof of whether or not you are a native to Jamaica or whether you're an American trying to pretend like you're Jamaican. <laughs> I,
2: I think about that a lot. Um, this is this observation I've seen with my parents um, is I always thought my dad was the most Indian person. Right. And mm-hmm. then I remember going back to India with him as a it must have been in my early twenties and I hadn't been back for many years. And I watched the way people would treat him, whether it be family members or just people, they knew he wasn't Indian. So mm-hmm. in this country, in America, he's the Indian guy with the accent. But in India, he's the American. And yeah. it's kind of the idea that Stefan communicated is like, what is being Jamaican enough? What is being black enough? What is being American right. enough? Um Right. I'm fortunate that I don't think about that as much anymore. I very there have been a handful of instances where that gets called into question. I'm, I'm one of them. I'm not American, but like I kind of I am. It's completely in my skin more than anything else. But to yeah, it just kind of woke something up in me. Kind of the observation of my folks when you talked about
1: yeah, that. yeah, absolutely. And he also sort of loops into that with his own family because he has children of his own now, and he is raising a family, passing down values and traditions. And having to, having to do that in a way where they are going to be prepared for anything that happens, but also um, for them to feel empowered for for uh, as who they are. And so that was very nice to hear as well.
2: Yeah, there's a really good metaphor about food. Uh, so it wasn't about the melting pot uh, or not even the mosaic. And it, it, his metaphor, which is food related, was pretty apt. And then I was pretty upset about finding out what kind of food he didn't like. Um, I guess you just got to listen to this one. We went a lot of places, really deep, really smart guy. Please meet our friend Stefan. So
1: tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing today. What do you do, Stefan?
0: So, right now, I am a consultant and a head of marketing for a uh, uh, an app that is for competitive athletes. And I've been doing that for about a year off and on uh, while I was exiting a traditional large CPG company. And I've uh, taken that on as my full-time uh, passion project and area of ex- expertise, I guess I'm, I'm building. And uh, totally enjoying it right now. I'm learning a ton, um, having a good time doing it. And I, I really think that what we are doing is something that can really help people, especially during this time, during this crazy time where people need to be isolated. I mean, yeah. our app is really geared towards athletes that are still trying to keep sharp and keep as good as they, uh, they have been when they have like big facilities for training. Uh, and we're able to provide a very similar uh, experience for them uh, at home or in their backyard. Just that's by so using cool. their phone or mobile app or mobile uh, device. So, so yeah, that's what it, I've been doing.
1: Is it kind of like um, streaming videos of exercises they can do? Or like what, what, what does the actual app have that people can oh, sure. interact with?
0: So great question. So it's their, their prompts that are randomized. So it's either colors or it's numbers or it's arrows. And what we're trying to do is make your brain work while your body is working as well. So for instance, we have one, uh, one training that's for like a basketball player, for instance, where they have, uh, they can either do a layup, uh, or they can shoot a jump shot. And the app is basically saying, well, you, you create the the prompts and you say, okay, well, I want this to be evens are taking a jump shot and odds. I'm doing a layup. So as you're dribbling the ball, you see a uh, number two come up, and if it's even, you're like, "Oh, I need to take a jump shot." And so, what we're trying to do is mimic those same type of um, just variable uh, uh, environmental things that are happening on the court, so your brain can work while your body is actually doing the the movements that you would be doing in in a, an actual game. That what so we're fun. finding is the difference between like, regular training is very regimented, and you kind of do the things over and over again. So your body remembers what to do, but those things don't transfer into a game because you're not having to find, uh, uh, spaces in between people or all the different things that are all the move, moving, parts that are going on on a court or on a field. You're not able to adapt to that, uh, just organically because you're not, your brain isn't doing that work when you're just shooting a jump shot by yourself without any pressure. So that's what that's we're trying to do. Cool. We're trying to be able to mimic the game time experience uh, for those athletes and keep their brain sharp while their body is doing that work.
2: Wow. All right. So I got to ask Stefan. Yeah, man. <laughs> did you want to be that when you grew up? Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, how <laughs> I did this, this happen? little Stefan saying, I want to do neuroscience and athletic <laughs> training. <laughs> you know what? Uh,
0: I was uh, a very weird kid and neuroscience was my favorite. No, um, I, I just... Uh, <laughs> You know, what, what I did know, and I think, you know, you look back on your life and you're like, all right, well, what are those things that were kind of similar that, you know, you liked while you were growing up? And what I really, really liked was I, I liked the idea of business. And so, like, and, like, I wasn't like the guy who was, like, selling lollipops, you know, <laughs> like, there's those stories. I wasn't that guy. I was the guy who was, uh, I'm going to tell way too much now, I was in a singing group. Uh Like I wanted to be the next like dude in like boys to men like that was my that yeah. was my jam. <laughs> and
2: I'm more so- of a Belbib devo guy, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll allow it. Thanks, thanks, thanks.
1: boys to men. They yeah, a, so- I I uh, I saw their. I didn't see them in person, but I saw that they had a show in Vegas recently. Oh like, okay.
0: yeah, boys I, to was, I was I was like a massive fan. Like, I had the VHS like videos of them. I was I was that guy.
2: All um, the dance moves. And- Oh, oh, yeah. It, it should be it should be known that uh, Stefan is another one of our white male guests on the show. <laughs> clearly. clearly. First of all, Boys to Men had a very nice uh, African American following. Thank you. As uh, an, as an Asian American, <laughs> all the Asian Americans liked Boys to Men <laughs> in Alabama growing up. They were, a ba- anyway. I think so. everyone liked them. Anyway, uh, go on, Stefan.
1: Great Stefan great. was telling us about his own vocal
2: yes.
0: Um,
1: background. Yes. So. Go ahead
0: what I like to do, so of course I like the singing part, I like the performing part, but what I would actually do for our group was I booked the the gigs for us. So I'm like 14, 15, 16, knowing, having contacts already and booking gigs. And we, like our first gig was, uh, at the Miss Jamaica, Florida, uh, pageant. <laughs>
1: wow. <laughs> and,
0: uh, and we got a chance to you know, be a part of the, the acts that were entertaining the, the crowd. And because of those contacts, I was able to you know, get more gigs. And so we actually had a manager and all this stuff. And, but I was the guy who knew how to book the gigs. And I was, I was fearless at that time. i still kind of fearless in just talking to anybody. But that's, those are the kind of things that I enjoyed to do. And that's what led me to my college, um uh my major in college, public relations. And then when I got out, what I noticed is I just I really enjoyed the business portion of it. Um, and so that's what led me to my, you know, my MBA work as well. So those are the things that that's what led me to like the path that I'm on now. It wasn't like um I dreamed of being a marketing exec for some so for an app, it was, you know, I really enjoy business. I really enjoy the idea of understanding what um, what's driving people to make decisions and uh, and why they're choosing certain things. And then how do you, you know, make sure that you're providing a service that actually can help people to, you know, to solve those
2: problems that they have. So I, I want to back in a little bit. So you referenced a couple of things, Miss Jamaica, Florida being right. one of them, but, <laughs> um, you know, we met several years ago and i was just like okay here's a pretty too cool for school very smart marketing black guy yeah. who clearly is influenced by boys to men and <laughs> clearly clearly you know and you know we had we had a lot of friends in common so we didn't hang out that much yeah. and then years later we became actual friends like we got to yeah. know each other each other's backgrounds and stuff um, yep. you know my wife uh, we have a lot of friends in common from our first company and i found out you have a very interesting background. So I got to ask the insensitive question that you probably get asked a lot. Yeah. Where are you from? What, and then, you know, the first you? answer is, yeah, what are you? Yeah, <laughs> Like, where are you really from, Stefan? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, The answer will blow your mind when I found out. I was like, no. And then you had to send me a picture of his mom. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, one of those. Yeah. Tell us, tell us. So, so, so I am black.
0: Um, I am Jamaican. So, I was born in Jamaica. I was raised in South Florida. um I think the interesting part that Lux loves to to bring up um and, and you know it's it's a part of me as well. uh my grandfather is actually Chinese, so cool. that means yeah, we're relatives we yeah. are we are so <laughs> interestingly enough, Jamaica has a very very uh large population of of Chinese immigrants that came um many, many, uh, decades ago. And, yeah. you know, they have, um, a lot of shops opening there, open there. And, uh, my grandfather actually was a soldier, um, that was in Jamaica at the time and, uh, uh loved my grandmother apparently and had my mom and, uh, unfortunately tragic story. He, uh, he asked my grandmother to move to the, to the US with him. And at that time, it was very much, um, you listen to your parents and what they tell you to do. So my great grandmother said no. And mm-hmm. my grandmother stayed with in Jamaica with her daughter, my mom. And so my mom uh, is looks very uh, like a, a perfect blend between uh, African descendants and Chine- his, her Chinese descendants uh and then she married a a black man my my dad and i look just like him and my my brother looks like a darker skinned version of my mom which is a very cool look and so yeah so there's interesting background there but i have i don't have any connection to uh the chinese side of my family unfortunately that's another longer story but okay. yeah that's the um the interesting Portion one of the interesting portions of my my background.
1: That's so cool. And so, were you born in Jamaica as well?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, born in Jamaica. How did, you,
1: how did you come to the states then?
0: So um, yeah, we at that a time plane? there was. Well, I did on a plane. I just meant, I,
1: you know, what brings you here? What <laughs> brought you here?
0: Roman, oh I, I knew saying. that you were going... I was, I was going to <laughs> circumvent that, but I knew you were going to get there. So, yes, we, were, we came on a plane. <laughs> thank you guys. And we... Um, during that time, there was a, like a massive political slash civil war kind of thing going on in Jamaica uh, between the two political factions and uh we need to get out of there so we left and uh you know to pursue whatever a uh, better lifestyle and so on and what what's cool about Jamaica uh, about South Florida where we where we landed where we la- ended up there's a massive population of Caribbean people of Jamaican people so i still got like I, like probably I'll say probably sixty, 70 percent of my friends were Jamaican or had Jamaican parents, um, and so I got a really nice blend of the culture, um, but in the us with different types of resources. so it was such a like really great childhood um, culturally for me, and of course yeah. like I'm, I'm American as well, so I don't like when people try to say, "You know, well, you know, are you Jamaican or are you American no i I'm, I'm both. And I'm 100% Jamaican and I'm 100% from the US. Yeah. So, and I, I've been able to blend those two things. But of course, like conversations with people always end up being, well, you're not Jamaican enough or you're not US enough. And that yeah. has been kind of an aggravating thing that I've had to deal with for most of
2: my life. Are those so, people more than who anything. say that, Stefan? Um, so, like my dad. Um, mm-hmm. Who's Indian came over when he goes back to India? He's he, my dad wants to identify as Indian and American 100% of both, right? Yep. But it's clear the people who interact with him in this country with his accent are like, Yeah, you're a foreigner. But when he goes back to India, they're like, uh, You're American
0: for sure. And
2: so, for sure. yeah, how do, you, how do you experience that when you interact with Jamaican people when you go back? <laughs> so,
0: it's, it's the uh, I, I call it the test, and the test. It, it happens every time, every every time. Uh, so the test always is um, first. They test it to hear your accent. So is your accent authentic enough? Does it sound like um, like you're from Jamaica? And then uh, like like most countries, Jamaica has like regional accents. So then, if if your accent passes the first sniff test, then it's all right. Regionally, where are you from? Okay. And then the bigger test is the where are you from test. And <laughs> that is super annoying. So the where, you, where are you from test is, all right, so name your parish. And uh, is it, uh, and then you say, all right, say I'm from Kingston. Um, okay, so where in Kingston? Oh, near a- near Ailsha. Okay, what's next to <laughs> it, it It's like a never. No, like it's, it's a serious test. And it's a then, sniff test. It's a sniff test. It's a sniff test. And then if you, you don't pass it like oh oh you're American. That's what's up. And then um American side it's okay, you're um you're Jamaican. All right, speak Jamaican to me. <laughs> like well, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I am a Jamaican speaking to you and that is my answer, you know? Well, well say something in Jamaican. Um Damn it. <laughs> so those are the things that I have to, like, those are the tests that I have to go through to, to prove my cultural identity on, on either side of the aisle.
1: And how old were you when you came over? Elementary school aged?
0: A baby. So that was the other thing. So when you're, uh, that's, that's another part of right. the test. When did you come? So if you, uh, like what school did you go to? If you went to school there, then you kind of get like a, like a, like a point. Um, mm-hmm. and then if you didn't go to school there, okay, so what, when did you come? And then it's kind of the, the, the averaging out, you are this old and then you came here, the percentages are just off. So then, uh, you don't meet the sniff test again. So I came in, I came as a baby um, raised in a Jamaican home, raised in Jamaican culture in South Florida, mm-hmm. if you ask me questions about that experience um, and then it's, it becomes like what what does what really um, defines culture and then what are those elements so there's food there's language there's uh you know experiences and so on. so how many of those you know are you able to experience in the u s versus Jamaica? and you can get some but not all and then that's that again becomes part of the test
1: so when you were growing up you grew up in a jamaican neighborhood area did you feel different from people around you or did you actually feel like you were pretty much at home because a lot it it was also a lot of immigrants coming from from jamaica
0: so uh, we grew up in a jamaican uh Home for sure. The neighborhood mm-hmm. that we grew up in. Um, so I'm not a spring chicken. So we came in uh, the early, the late '70s, early '80s, mm-hmm. and we were the first black family to move into that neighborhood.
1: Oh wow! Okay.
0: And it was super white flight as soon as we moved in. Like, yeah, literally, um, for sale signs came up the first week we were there. So. <sighs> It was uh, – it. and then the, the neighborhood changed not only from not only Jamaican households, but also American households and more African-American households. So it, as far as feeling home, home was home, um, was in my house. Right. And our friends were friends of my family growing up. So it was pure Jamaicans more, more, more times than none. And then as you grow up, you kind of have your American friends as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I, I knew that I was different because of some of the words that I would say that sound different than my American friends. Mm-hmm. Um and then and when you say
2: American, do you mean African
0: American or yes, white American well, or everything? Okay. All, all all American friends. So okay, like okay. um like Jamaicans would say aluminium, uh, to talk about aluminum. Yeah, oh, here. instead
1: of aluminum yeah.
0: Interesting. Yes, or, or like batteries instead of batteries. Like I have to like concentrate to say words. some words. Um or well, like water is instead of water or whatever. Right? And, you, and yeah, and you
2: have to, my, my mom um, has a weird hybrid English uh, Indian accent because she was a refugee in England. And I had to train mm-hmm. myself when I got to school to say after not after. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, I still sometimes slip out after almonds and people are like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Who are you? But like, again, like these are the, the, the tests that you kind of have to go
0: through. And then to, um, to, I want to. I hate the word assimilate, but to to feel like you are a part of the Was, community, w- you you have to change some of those words.
2: Was assimilation dictated by um, your own desire as a kid to fit in, or your parents? Because like my parents had to push the assimilation game indirectly. They never said the word, but you know we didn't speak Hindi in the house. We, we yeah. didn't want to have accents, etc.
0: <laughs> so it, Jamaicans are like like the polar opposite. Jamaicans are like, listen, we're in the US, but now this is our place. <laughs> <So,
2: laughs> this is gonna be more Jamaican. Like, we're
0: here. We're here. <laughs> and so I would get uh, in trouble for using certain American slang words in the house. Like there was no like use slang in the house. No no no. No. And it, it was it was very like posh like we don't speak like that. like. But I just heard that like literally outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. you're in the house. We don't speak like that. Um, hmm. And so it, it was less about assimilation in that way. Forced from my parents, they were very much, you're Jamaican, be Jamaican, stay Jamaican. Um, it was more like I wanted, I, I didn't feel like I wanted to have a conversation with people anymore about it. So if you say batteries and people like eyes, you know, open up wide, like I don't, yes, I'm Jamaican and yada, yada. Like, I don't feel like going through all that all the time. Right. So uh, I still say batteries, but some of the other words or some of the other phrases that are, or the accent, I, I definitely chose to not take on my accent when I was at school because I didn't feel like having to go through all of that.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about Let's fast forward to where you are today. Yeah, yeah for sure. Twisty, windy road. It's so funny when you're telling the story because you made it sound so straightforward. And I was like, yeah. what? <laughs> like following from, you know, wanted to be singer, was man pretty much manager <laughs> of my vocal group, you know, got us a bunch of gigs. Then I studied public relations. And then yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. um, but how are you different today than you were as a kid
0: growing up? Oh man, I'm I'm like way more comfy in my skin. Yeah. Um and I think that's that, that comes with, you know, most, you know, older age. I guess you get to get to a space where you're like, "Yeah, I'm I'm alright." Um Yeah. But I think um what I where I am now is probably where my wa- my mom wanted to be. Wanted wanted me to be then. So like more organized, the uh, longer term thinking. Um, my mom always badgered me about writing down lists of things to you know to to knock out. You know, like well, you know, you have this end goal. Like, what are the steps you need to do to do that? And then, what are the lists associated? You know, like write the list and you know start marking things off. And I'd hate it. I was like, Mom, just let me like do me. Like I'd do it. And now I'm Mm -hmm. like, all right. Well, my notepad is all about like, okay, I I want to get to C-suite. In ten years, in in five years, all right. Well, what does that mean for me to do? To do that, and then what are the list? What's the list of things I need to do? So, being able to like being having much clearer thoughts on goals and where I want to be um, has come in my older age. When I was a kid, like I was, I knew I was smart. I knew I was talented. I knew I could do a lot of things but i didn't have i didn't like have the direction of like oh i i definitely want to be a businessman like that wasn't what i knew i wanted to be it mm-hmm. just kind of started falling in my lap and you know those things start um i call it, like the like the matrix moment like i always talk about this when i'm like looking at data at some point like the binary code starts forming for you like oh crap like oh i understand like what this is trying to show me and it's kind of that same thing going through my life this is what brought me to business. But at that point in time, I I didn't have that clarity.
2: And what What did your, oh, go ahead. Yeah. What what did your mom and dad want you to be?
0: They didn't, it it wasn't, there was Uh, no, there wasn't like a, you need to do this. It was, you need to make sure that you are, uh, well, college was the foregone conclusion. Like you, okay, go to college, kid. Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't come to this country for you to just be lollygagging. So that was clear.
1: Lollygagging. Um, See, that's a Jamaican term. I don't
2: know about that. It no, I, It's Isn't a colonial it? term. It's a colonial All right. term. All right. <laughs> but um,
1: my um, my my Caribbean mother-in-law uses that word a lot.
0: Does she? So, okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Lollygagging.
0: Um, All right. Go ahead. So <laughs> we. Uh, so I, I knew that that was the, the case, but they were never like prescriptive on you need to be a doctor or a lawyer or. They just wanted to, wanted me to make sure that I was using my talents and the brain that they know they they would given me um, to be successful, and they let me figure that what successful looked like.
2: What did they do? What What did your mom and dad do for a living?
0: So my dad is a serial entrepreneur. Um, he uh, in Jamaica he was a pharmaceutical sales rep mm-hmm. um, for the Caribbean, and he was. Like super rock star, like he was, like the guy. He was young and very successful, and decided to leave that um, when he came to the states, uh, and just reinvented himself and started a an an insurance agency. Random, right? Uh, That was super successful because what was going on, especially during that time, is a lot of insurance agencies. We're not um, insuring African-Americans and we're not insuring Caribbean people. So he mm. found like a super great niche, niche for himself in that space and was very, very successful. Um, and then reinvented himself again and started um, import-export business for, from Jamaica to the States. There was a lot of very regional specific um, items that Jamaicans wanted in the States. Couldn't get, so started that business and then started another business that he's doing now that is specifically a food import export business where he he imports um, uh, local cuisines to the states and then um, he's the person who um, who uh, gets them distributed to your local supermarket. And my mom is uh, an educator and. One of the smartest people um, I've ever known, just just knows stuff. Um, and she uh, she is an English teacher and now about to retire, uh, but she also reinvented herself probably uh, crud fifteen years ago and decided to uh, get her master's in uh, media relations. Uh, so she's the uh, she does like what do you call it like like uh, library sciences media relations. So that's what she's like the media specialist uh, for her high school. Very cool. So so, you you can see I'm like the half of the equation is all about education. and I love that part of me um, wanting to teach. And then the other half is clearly like business oriented and then really kind of entrepreneurship is somewhere in my blood. I'm trying to fight it, but it's probably going to end up being there at some point.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I can see that thread for sure. You mentioned in the beginning or earlier when you were talking about growing up and feeling like in school you had to assimilate in some ways. Do you ever feel that way now when you're in a business meeting or professionally?
0: Oh my gosh, code switching—that mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. is the. Let's so, get real uh, about that. <laughs> yes, um, another day, Roman. I will share with you my um, my uh, my sitcom pilot that I've written about code switching. <laughs>
2: You know, like, I got a little excited that you were going to be like, I'm going to share my spreadsheet. Uh, <laughs> you know, but it's a <laughs> I can
0: put it into a spreadsheet for you if that would be helpful. <laughs> yes. Excel Excel script. Uh, um, no,
2: Google Sheet, man, Google Sheet. Oh, God. <laughs>
0: okay, I'll do that for you. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, it's less, probably when I first started corporate America, it was assimilation. And Mm -hmm. now, um, now that I'm, you know, pretty seasoned in my career, it's how do you express yourself and keep yourself whole while still not being threatening to, (laughs) to corporate America, I guess you could say.
2: Yeah. Okay. I want to unpack that. What's threatening? What do you mean?
0: Oh, so, uh, threatening is, uh, is super coded, um, and super loaded. Uh, especially for being a black man in corporate america yeah um threatening is uh and i've had this feedback me saying what i'm not going to take from my team or uh, if my team isn't meeting my expectations and that being um interpreted as uh threatening conversation to my team or uh, it's it's uh it's not um, I shouldn't speak to my team that way. When oh, if, like, uh, like you're
1: too aggressive.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. So these are all code coded language when you hear your feedback or, um, I had one direct report that, uh, I was telling her, I, I told her, like, I use this kind of Socratic method of teaching. Like, I'm just like, I love asking questions about, you know, how you think about this. Cause I, I don't want to be prescriptive on how you approach a problem. So I would just ask her questions. And she was like, I, I, was, I was threatened by all the questions. And I, I was like, I don't know how we got to threatening when I'm literally asking you your perspective about a particular problem. So I'm not sure of that. Uh, actually, I know that that language would not have been used with uh, a counterpart that didn't look like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so how, did,
1: how do you respond to that when you get that kind of feedback?
0: Oh, you got to take it, you got to take it head on. And, yeah. and it's not, and again, it's not in an aggressive manner because again, that could be coded language for you, especially being a black person, but it's right. more like, well, you know, help me understand how you got to threatening when I'm just asking you how to answer this particular question mm-hmm. or, um, and again, you, you can't raise your voice. You, uh, you have to be very monotone and my, my facial expression, I would call it dead face. Uh, <laughs> When, uh, when I'm speaking to somebody, especially when in like about a tough, something that is tough feedback, um, Mm -hmm. I'll put on my dead face, um, which is emotionless. And then my, my tone would be very monotone and I would speak slower because I know I can control my emotions and the way I'm being received by speaking slower to my, to I, whomever I'm having a conversation with. And that's a lot of effort. Yeah, it is. It, it, trust me, it, it's, it's exhausting after the day is through, especially when you have to have tough conversations very often. Um, but that is what has to be done. So in the end of your feedback, when you have to, you know, you have to do your 360 and you have to do your direct report feedback, you're not getting aggressive or um, threatening or um, these kind of things in your feedback because those can be career inhibiting. If you don't manage your, the, uh, the conversation around you and your
2: brand. Yeah. Do you, um, do you find that in, you know, you had two pretty significant corporate environments where you had direct reports, you know, 360 evaluations, work and development plans. Yep. And obviously it sounds like everything you just said was operating in that world. Mm -hmm. And now you're at a small tech startup and doing consulting for clients, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously those lessons still apply, but are they in practice as much now? That you're for kind sure. of in the crazy world of startups? Really? For sure. Yeah. So you know, talk the, to us the, about
1: that. Because I would have I would have totally thought that that would all went out the window. Not all, but most of that would have gone out the window with the with a smaller, more startup environment.
0: Yeah, well it's it no, it's it's it it's just it's different, but it you still have to think about those lessons and uh those tools. So for instance, um if you are leading marketing uh, for a small group and and you have a team that's kind of building uh, posts or um, or any outward communication, there are some people that are able to say, "Oh, that that's trash." <laughs> you know, like that is completely right. off brief, and you knew that that was off brief, but you decided to do it anyway, and you know that it this is trash. In comp- in, you know, depending upon what you what you are trying to communicate, and some people get away with that, and it's cool. I cannot, I can't get away with that. I, I can't be the the person in the room that is, um, oh, he he shoots from the hip, and he you know he he just says what he feels. Nope, nope, can't do it. Can't do it because I'm going to be received differently. Um, even if if I'm in a in an environment where I'm uh, where I have to be the voice of reason or a a, a dissenting opinion, it all has to be grounded in um, in data or grounded in in information that people can receive it because it could be received as me being emotional about a particular topic because I disagree, or if I fight for my opinion. That's when I could still be perceived as aggressive, so all these things have to be factored into place, and the the words that I choose have to be um, very, and this is a PNG term, very choiceful. Um, not a real word. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it isn't. Um, I mean, is that really not a word? It's not a word. No. I always oh thought God. that
1: was a word. I do not wow. believe it's a word.
2: Huh. Learnings um, is not a word. Learnings, learnings is, is not, a word, I not learnings, a word. Yeah,
1: learnings not a word, but learnings is is uh, what it was a part of our vernacular at one time yes. for all three oh. of us, huh?
0: <laughs> yes, um, but yeah, you, you you have to to choose the right words to make sure that your message is being communicated appropriately, and then the so, last piece is um, uh, there was a oh I forgot the the actual term. Um, it was lollygagging. No, it was, dagging, like, no, it was lolly, definitely not yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> definitely not that but it it, it was uh it, it was in a different podcast that I was listening to about um but coming about coming from a a woman's perspective like kind of like mansplaining in the in the corporate uh corporate arena um but it it's uh, uh Sherry, you know the word I'm talking about no oh anyway uh it was uh, i thought you were going to interject but it was it's basically like when you're in a room and you're like This is my opinion about something, and it's you think it's a great point that is being said, and people glaze over it, and then your uh, another counterpart who looks different than you says the same, like literally the exact same words, and people are like, Yeah, that is that is brilliant. Yeah, where did you come up with that, you know, like, and that happens a lot, and so those are the same things that the same things I have to think through. even in a smaller environment, how do you make sure that your communication is clear, it's calm, it's data based, and um, you're able to hit the message that you want to hit without someone else having to co-sign you to think to um, to prove that you're a um, smart or brilliant person?
2: So I want to flip. I want to flip that on you, Stefan. Yeah, sure. Um, from being the minority to the majority. Yeah. So you're, you're contemplating all of that in your communications, and it sounds exhausting. Yes. And so exhausting that does it remove your ability to see that in other people who might be having to do the exact same, like a, a, a female counterpart yeah. in the room or um, uh, another minority, right? Like, are you empathetic or sensitive to that other people are going through it? or Because it, it sounds like you've got to be so in your own head for no. the words that come out of your mouth
0: yeah yeah it, it's true and yes, I am um and, and I don't do it well all the time to be clear like um and my wife, who is also in corporate America and a a beast she is brilliant at at, at her job, and she oftentimes reminds me and tells me the stories about things that she has to think through as well, and when i've had direct reports or counterparts that um that are women, yeah. Like I, I have, to, I have to be an advocate for them as well. And again, I don't do it well all the time, even though I would love to. But th- just simple things like um, I have had a CMO that loves to cut off people in the middle, and VPs that love to cut off people, specifically women, um, in conversations. And after they would cut them off, I would have to say things like hey um Sharon, you had a point what was can you you know make sure that you you hmm. let people know what's going on with you know what 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 you're thinking like that that has to be consciously done or um even simple things like uh handshakes. My wife is very good about showing me when that is not happening with men specifically uh you walk into a room um you're meeting someone for the first time, and either uh they don't shake the woman's hand or they don't shake the woman's hand who is the first, who, who may be the highest ranked person in the room first. Like those are things that are unconsciously, biasedly done that you kind of have to make sure that you are um, consciously um, advocating for that person in that space.
1: Wow. So, do you ever have a moment where you think, if I just quit and started my own thing? I would not have to deal with this BS anymore. All the time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I have it- a, um, a dream of, of starting, uh, I guess I shouldn't say this because somebody may steal my idea, but, um, <laughs> 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 I'll, I'll say this. I'll say broad strokes. Uh, I have a dream of being able to start a, um, a business that is, for African Americans or people of the African diaspora um, or people of colors overall, and uh, providing products for them, and the people who would be working in that company would reflect the consumers that we're trying to influence at least a, a large scale and then the, yeah. the question that that um, that I've been thinking about is how would that business model look different? how would um, the way we would we operate look different? um instead of thinking about the way that corporate america works now that is very uh has a very eurocentric uh perspective could there be a right. different approach that we have that is community building um and doing that in corporate america that could be successful it's a, yeah it's a question that i, I have in my that in my mind that i would love to prove or disprove
1: i'm excited for it i think all of our listeners would be big supporters of it too it just so. sounds. It sounds. It sounds doubly exhausting when I hear about you talk because it's. There's a lot of self regulation that happens, but then you become the voice and the advocate for everyone else in the room who's also a minority in some way. You know, like you've. You feel responsible to do that as well, and so it's like, yeah, you're just you're watching everybody. You're even watching the majority to make sure that they're treating the minority properly. It's. It's a lot of work, Stefan. Stefan, yeah. just start your own business. It's a lot easier. Trust me.
0: Yeah, but then <laughs> no, it, it would have its own problems, right? But right. I think That's everything true. you're saying is spot on, and I think it, as you get to a certain level in a company, um, it, it it's further exacerbated. You know, like when uh, as I got promoted to director, people started looking at you differently. Yeah, um, and then I had like my friends who got promoted to VP, and then you become the one. Right. Um, and I, right. I, I had a um one of my friends who got promoted to um to VP of marketing, which was um there are very few people at um at that level at one of the companies that I was working. Um I'm contractually obligated to not say which company. <laughs>
1: sure. Understood.
0: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> we'll just
1: look at your LinkedIn, don't worry.
2: <laughs> Rhymes with <laughs>
0: Anyway, uh, <laughs> but what she said to me was so so interesting. Like I, I took her out to like lunch, uh, like right after she got promoted. and I'm like, dude, this is it. Congrats! Like this is amazing. She's like, what's crazy about this is that there, because there were so few, um, and even in corporate America, there are few. Yeah. Who do you? And call when you say few, do you color?
1: mean you mean people of color, women, like specifically? What do you mean?
0: People of color. Okay. um people of color women that uh that um that are that is a person of color at the VP of marketing level at mm-hmm. a big CPG mm-hmm. so the question is who do I call for advice right who could who could walk in my shoes and say this is what I experienced in the yep. first couple of months and this is like because there's going to be men that are able to do that there going to be white men that be able to do that be white women that are able to do that There are gonna be black men that are able to do that but their experiences all are going to be different than this woman who is experiencing it as an African- American woman yeah and so who do you call and she's like you know I had to really go into my network and figure out who could I call to help me to understand the experience that I'm about yeah. to embark upon and then because she was the one um, then Everybody who is uh, a person of color in marketing, or even multifunctionally, then started looking at her for, okay, can I get time in your calendar because I want to understand what you did to get mm-hmm. to this place because you're an anomaly, right. and then that com- becomes that becomes evident at the director level, senior director level, VP level. As soon as you get to a level where you're considered, and I put my quote unquote executive, then people are trying to understand how to do it, and mm-hmm. then you get people on your calendar to do the same thing, to ask the same questions. Um, so yeah, it's exhausting. <laughs> and then you got to do yeah. your work, <laughs> and yeah. then you got to advocate for other people. <laughs> you know, like yeah, man, um, yeah, it's it's exhausting. So yeah, but it's something that you that you I don't say you have to do not Everyone has to do this. But it's something that I wanted to do. That I yeah. want to do. Um, if I go back into corporate America, I'm going to have to do this again. Yeah. Um, because if I'm not doing it, then who is? And then who's going to also be able to be filling the shoes of um, of me at, at the director level or at the senior director level, or at the VP level, CMO level? Like yeah. we're not going to see any change in uh, the 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 makeup of corporate America, if people are not reaching back and bringing
2: people up, right? So, Stefan, a lot of um where your thinking is going is call it five or ten years out, but I want you to think twenty to thirty years out. And specifically, like all three of us have kids, right? Yeah, growing up in this new world, mm-hmm. um, where you know I tell my kid she's American first, and then she happens to be Indian and Chinese. But I guess what advice do you want to give your 20-year-old kids as they go into the world that they're going to inherit? Specifically through the lens of everything you just said, code switching, identity, et cetera.
0: Yeah, well, all those
2: things still have to be taught. Um, And
0: we're not going to get to a place, um, at least I don't see it getting to a place where uh, none of this is going to matter in 20 years. You know what I mean? So I'm still going to have to... Are you telling me
2: this podcast isn't going to solve it all?
1: I know. Come well, on. This is, this Why is are you even step? on the show? <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is only the first step, guys. <laughs> well, you know, the handshake. The handshaking thing doesn't going to matter anymore because we're all going to stop shaking hands. Let's be oh, that's, clear. Fair. that's fair. That's
0: um, fair. Maybe that will start it. <laughs> <That starts laughs> right.
1: COVID, it a COVID <laughs> solved all of these. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all of these issues.
2: Oh man. Kung um, flu,
1: baby. Kung flu. Hey, uh, hey, no,
2: oh, hey, no. Nope, nope. <laughs> oh, come on. I look, hang on the Chinese virus racist. Kung flu. Hilarious. I, okay. Still, still
1: racist, but, but definitely very catchy. I'll give you that. <laughs> as a marketer, I appreciate <laughs> that name, yeah. but as a Chinese American, uh, not so much.
0: <laughs> I would agree. Um, on the racist part,
1: um. <laughs> you're so politically correct. Like he's doing it on this yeah, show too. That's exactly what he right. knows. So he's going
2: to so be the CEO of a publicly right traded. There. He's going to be the CEO of a publicly traded company in like two years. So so, gonna, yeah. Oh, by the way, he's going to show up in the <laughs> um
0: Yeah. So, so what I, I, I know. Yeah. I I know that the, I don't believe and that's me being a pessimist in the, in this regard unfortunately and I'm I'm a, I'm more an optimist than anything else um but I I don't believe that the the idea or the um the curse of ra- of the the US's curse of racism is going to be solved in in the next 20 years and so I'm going to prepare them um I have a son and a daughter and my son I'm going to have to Talk to him about how to move in this in the world and how to survive and keep himself safe um, and my daughter I'm gonna have to say the exact same thing and, and what I'm what I'm hoping that's going to be different and is because their parents are working hard to create generational wealth for them that there are going to be certain things that they they're going to see it through a different lens, and I'm hoping that we're able to show them, you know, other cultures, things around the world that are different, um, to get them to be as well-rounded as possible to prepare them for for what they're going to be able to see. And I I, I love Roman that you're you're leaning on. You're an American first, and then you're Indian, and then you're Chinese. Um, and th- I know those things are the same, uh, the same level of priority, not just in a row. Um, but for me, they are. They need to understand that they are black. They need to understand that they're Jamaican. They need to understand that they're American. All of those things equally ra- equally weighted, um, because this idea of um, colorblindness is bs um my my perspective is it's about um celebrating those differences and understanding how 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 they bring uh, value to the culture you know what i mean so me um me being able to express that and not um not it blending away into the, the melting pot
2: BS. Um, well, we, we had a guest say that it's not a melting pot, it's a mosaic.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a nice nice way to say it. Um, or chili or soup or whatever you, <laughs> want, to <say> <laughs> whatever you want to say it.
2: No, but, but a mosaic represents, you know, you can still see the pieces, right? Yes. But if you step back. Like, if you really want, you can zoom in on the Jamaican part. You can zoom in on the Chinese part. You can zoom in on the, you know, male-female so, part.
0: The challenge I have with that is seeing them and um, celebrating are different for me.
2: Mm. Um, mm.
0: So, like, with, with, uh, if you use like another corny um, <laughs> analogy or metaphor, whatever, uh, if you use like chili or, or, um, or soup, like, each thing that you add to it adds flavor to the soup. Adds something different to the soup that would not have been there if, if you didn't add it to it. So I want to, like what I love about our friendship, Raman is there's no like, well, don't tell me about growing up as an Indian in Alabama. No, I want to understand that that is a part of you, and that's a part of what makes you you. You know what I mean? And that's that's different than what I grew up with, and. That's okay. And that should be celebrated and that's awesome. And the idea of this I see you so like I don't want to just be seen like they celebrate me for me being this individual built this way and what I bring to the culture. And I think that that is necessary for us to have any progress moving forward. And I think that we're starting to see certain, some of that going on now but i think it's necessary for us to to see anything to see any change in the next 20 years um and i'm hoping that 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 is what i'm able to instill in my kids so they're ready for whatever comes at that time
1: that sounds really hopeful sort of so kind of optimistic be. right
2: yeah <laughs> well yeah uh, i mean all, all the all the celebrations i'm, I'm exhausted thinking about
0: yeah, them. yeah. <laughs>
2: well yeah i mean
0: It's it's funny, like we we do it but we don't don't know that we're doing it. I get it, I get it. You know? Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think we're ready for speed
0: round. Oh yes. I'm ready. Are you
2: ready, Stefan? Speed round Um,
0: I've been preparing Mm -hmm. all weekend for the speed round. Doing push ups. Oh my gosh. One arm push ups, squats, burpees.
1: <laughs> Were you using your athlete app too? Just exactly, to, you, know, you have to
0: keep my the, the cognitive and physical things going at the same time.
1: <laughs> All right, here's the first one. What's one yeah. thing about you no one
0: expects? Uh, that uh, I'm a nerd. <laughs> I'm you think no one nerd. expects that about you? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I think, I think I surprised Roman when we first started talking about comic books. He's like, "Wait a minute, what
2: just happened?" and uh yeah, yeah but have you have you finished watching picard yet
0: no well it just it just got free on uh for me to to experience it but i did finally watch the final um the final star wars movie and we'll
2: talk about that later on i okay hang on Uh i'm gonna revoke <laughs> i'm gonna put your nerd card on probation that you finally watched it come Look, on man i have two kids and no one's gonna watch it with me uh <laughs> I so, dropped yeah. my kid off at daycare, took the morning <laughs> off, and went to see it. No, see, that's I what, what I'm not I committed don't, to the I don't even brother. know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so, Stefan, all right, so related, related. Um no, but that's what I did
0: a with the Marvel end, end game. I had to go off and go do it by myself.
2: Oh, my yeah, God. Exactly. All right, so, so this is a two-parter. Um, first, books, movies, or TV shows?
0: Oh, crap. Probably movies. No, probably okay. TV shows. So,
2: all right, from either of those, yeah. what is uh, a movie or a TV show that has characters that you really relate to? <laughs> the first thing I thought was Black
0: Panther. Then I was like, okay, I can't really relate to like being a, a African what kind guy. of forever, dude.
2: baby. Wakanda of forever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, something that, that I, I really relate to, um, I, I would say probably most of the... Uh, I'll say like Love Jones, like a, a 90s movie that... Um, is just about um, to a man and a woman that um, are black in Chicago that are artists falling in love and the crazy weird things that go along with trying to figure out how to you know get your career started and find a partner. Like it's just a dope movie, and I mean it was they, this happened in 1996 when they released it, and. I could watch it now, and uh, if you guys haven't seen it, watch it. And you still feel the same type of um, the same type of feelings uh, because it's just so relatable. And they're smart characters. Um, they are unapologetically black, unapologetically creatives, and it's just a complete vibe. Um, yeah, great, great movie.
1: That's awesome. I'm gonna add it to my next Netflix queue.
0: Please do. It's so good, and it is it is on Netflix. And they like re they like made it look like uh, they updated the the cinematography, so it all looks like super good. Cool.
1: Um, here's the next one. What's your favorite mom
0: dish? Ooh, favorite mom dish. Um, so I don't eat beef or pork anymore but what i i miss the most is my mom's roast pork it was super delicious it's like a stew uh jamaicans make it um i probably have to figure out how to make it for my kids at one point in time but um yeah. what i can eat that my mom does make that's really good as well is her um her curry chicken is amazing rice yeah. and peas are amazing anything for my mom is probably is pretty good to be honest
1: Yum yum. So then I was hoping you would up. say oxtail cuz that's like one of my favorite Jamaican dishes.
0: Yeah, mom, mom and dad, my dad makes the oxtail. So both of them can cook really well. Actually, mom, dad, brother, and I can all cook. And mm-hmm. um my brother actually was trained in culinary arts, so he's probably the best, then my mom, then my dad, and then me. But he makes the, my dad makes the oxtail.
2: What's your least favorite food?
0: <sighs> um <laughs> probably Italian food, like overall pasta. Like I'll eat it. It's pretty okay. But like as a genre of fru- food, I'm like, mm-hmm. it could, it could go. <laughs> I could take it or leave it. Like Ste-
2: I'm talking about Stephane like, K. James doesn't like Italian people. Position, right? <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> there goes your public CEO role. Right. Right. Better start drafting Stupid. up your LLC paperwork.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm talking about like from the gourmet Italian food place to like Olive Garden. I think it's just okay. Oh, and then the other one that my my wife hates me saying all cheeses. They're all the same
2: to me. Oh, we're not friends no anymore. Way. <laughs> oh, way
0: <my laughs>
1: Stefan K. Off. James. <laughs> we, had yeah, guess.
2: Really we had a guest. We can't really feel that way. Oh, had a guest. We had a guest, a, a guest who's a New Yorker. Yeah. And he was like, I don't like pizza. And I'm like, I'm calling the mayor. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It, so we we went on this uh this wine tour and we done all the like the we went on this cheese tour too. It was like and it was like, yeah, again, they're all like pretty good. But if you're like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I have to have a blue cheese or a munster or whatever, I'm like, all right, well. Let's put it on a cracker, I guess, maybe some jelly, and we'll, <laughs> we'll try. To... <laughs> but then I'm equally as excited about. It's okay to be wrong, Stefan. It's, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I know. this is. Uh, people are really upset when I say this, so I apologize. But yeah, my, my wife no, is a good. cheese person, and
1: I am uh, I'm glad. We're, I'm glad that we're creating a, an open and honest space for you to do this. Well,
0: you told me there are no wrong answers to start. There no, aren't. No. I'm feeling judged. Just right wrong now. people. Just wrong people. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
1: All right, here's another one. Who's someone out there that you would want to interview
0: on a podcast? Um oh man, Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Uh so uh, it's kind of recency theory as well. I just we just watched his um him receiving the Mark Twain award last night, which oh, was Oh, it's
2: so good. So good. So good.
0: Yeah. Um he's so smart and clever mm-hmm. and funny. Um, compassionate, just down to earth. Like he'd just be, I would, I would like to have a conversation. With, oh, he, he's a music head like me, so I would love just to be able to talk to him about politics and um, race and uh, gender and music and you know art, like, com- and being a comedian, like all that stuff would be just so dope. Just to hear from him and his perspective on on life. Um, yeah. Um and, oh, on just sidebar as well, if you guys get a chance, there's a um an interview he had with Maya Angelou on uh Iconoclast is the name of the show. And it's on YouTube. It was so good. And listening to two um geniuses, uh Spar is that the right word, but just share different ideas from different perspectives from different generations. It, um, yeah, it, it, it is, it is something that makes you think. And I felt really warm watching it. I don't know how to explain it other than warm truth serum. I'll tell you this. The, the question I have on the phrase model minority is, does that, Mm -hmm. Um, mean that there is a minority that is not model. And what is interesting about that is if you look historically, the people who are not model minorities are usually the people who are fighting for uh, equal rights or just being able to have access to the same stuff that the majority has, so that's my first thought on it. Um, I'm wondering if it 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 creates a a juxtaposition that you're not trying to um, to imply, but could be something that is inferred.
2: So what's in, what's interesting? We've been having a lot of really interesting debates on the term. I almost feel like we should open the show with it. But you know the term was coined in the '80s. I feel like in the Reagan administration to have that exact implied inferred division. Yes. yes. And when Sharon and I were talking about the premise of the show, because Asian Americans were in that original thing—that is correct—called that right. And it's almost like leaning into it and turning it into something else. But yeah, I agree. It's um, but it's the it's the code switching. You know, it's um, I. When I come back into this country from backpacking in Africa or the Middle East, I shave my beard, I put on a collared shirt, and I smile to the immigration officer. Oh, right? yeah. Um Or, you know, when you cross the street late at night as a black man, right? Um, oh, for sure. Some of that. Yeah. For sure. Um, I don't know, Sharon, what do you think? We've been debating about the model part of it as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's so, I think there's so many both negative and positive connotations to that term that it's, I think what we aim to do on this show is to redefine what that means, right? So model minority could mean that you code switch to assimilate, to make everybody else feel safe, which is a lot of what you had talked about professionally, Stefan. But I I actually feel like there's, there's a, there are really special people out there that are succeeding who happen to be minorities. And it's their culture, their values, their belief systems, and their experiences that are empowering and emboldening them to be who they are. And through that, they become role models. And I, I feel like I one. want, yeah, I want to switch that around through this show to show people that, yeah, there are, everyone behaves a certain way for various reasons, but it's, it's, it's what's in your DNA, like literally, you know, what's in your DNA, what you learned from your parents, what you learned from your community that helps you to, to be who you are or where you've made a decision to say, I've, I've come from this one background and I am not going to accept these five things about it. Um, And because of those things, good or bad, I am now who I am. And so, that's sort of where I want it to go. I mean, I think everyone has their, I think it started off being like it, it I I did some research on it. I think I sent it to Ram and it, it like showed up in an article written by, I believe it was a Japanese um, journalist. Um, and he was just writing about culture. And and then that became a term that was used in a very stereotypical way. But that's mm-hmm. not how I want us to use it.
0: Yeah, I like it. I, I like your definition. Uh- <laughs> That's I the new
1: like,
2: definition. That's I going to be it. a definition I'll in the it. urban
1: dictionary, and so therefore, it's now official.
2: <laughs> I'll take it. So, Stefan, you can just go update that in Wikipedia. That that would be great.
0: Right? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Go go do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I, I like that definition, and um, hopefully, what we're able to do here is is one show that there are different perspectives on how we approach life and business, uh, and our experiences are different and. You know, it's enlightening to some people. And for some other people, it's just like, I'm not the crazy person. Like, I am experiencing right. this, and someone else is too. And thank you for at least acknowledging that it's happening to you as well.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you for spending this time with us and being so open and honest with your experiences while still not revealing exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> in terms of company names.
2: <laughs> He's good at
0: that. He's good at
2: that. Obviously. really good at that. Obfuscation. Oh, <laughs> uh, branding. That's what we have to do here. <laughs> Stefan, thank you so much for being on the pod. And that's our show.
1: Like what you heard? Please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. For more about this episode, links to things mentioned, or to join the conversation, visit modmypod.com. We'd love to hear from you
2: here's a preview of our next episode. So I started law school in 2011. And and when I applied, they sent me back my acceptance letter and said, and also we're awarding you this scholarship for minorities. And I actually called the school because I was like, is there some confusion? Like, I actually am just like a white person who grew up 10 minutes from this school. (laughs) Like, I don't... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Did you mean to give me this scholarship? And and they pointed out to me, you know, that well, that I was a woman and and that there weren't as many women applying to law school as men, and that's why they gave me this scholarship. That's it for now. I've been Roman Segal.
1: And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony.
2: Remember, we're all model minorities out there.
1: We'll talk to you soon.